Excel Gum and ASMR. Search Excel Gum on Spotify now and choose one of four ASMR audio experiences. Because everybody needs good study partners. It seems like everywhere we go, it's just trauma, 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 trauma. One of the biggest things that we need for our young people is to allow them to be young people. They have the right to play. They have the right to have fun. They have the right to laugh and to not feel bad about it. Hello and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm super excited to have not only one of my friends, but someone that I'm constantly inspired by. I have Kyron Potts here with me today. He is an Indigenous advocate, content creator. You may have seen him on TikTok, on Instagram, and he's also a two-spirit advocate for inclusion and representation, not only across platforms, but also within his community. Kyron Potts, thank you so much for being here and for joining Joining us on the show here today. Ish nish. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. <laughs> Was there anything that I hadn't mentioned that you want to introduce the audience to? No, but you made me sound so cool. Here's the thing. Whenever I do like a bio or if I'm having somebody else read my bio, I feel like they get sick of like, he does this and he does this and he does this and he does this. But the thing is, is like, that's what I do. It's hard to be like, oh, I just do this one thing because I don't really know too many Indigenous artists, especially in Toronto, who like just do one thing. So, Well, I mean, we're entrepreneurs. You kind of have no option but to do like several things at once. I've only just started taking that identity on in the last like year. I I was also going to say, and you're a triple Gemini. So like (laughs) you have 16 different personalities already. Yeah, You'll (laughs) meet about six of them here, hopefully. But I'm curious to know, like, where did this really start? Like, tell me about little Kai. Like, what made you want to get into being an advocate for Indigenous issues and for Indigenous rights? I always tell people that my sort of existence as a political person wasn't really my choice. And I think that's true for a lot of Indigenous youth is like, I don't get to choose whether or not I get to be political. I have to be. Everything that I do ends up being for some larger idea or you know, some movement. And ever since I was a kid, I was always involved in the government because I became a ward of the government at a really young age. When I was like six months old, that was the first time I was ever apprehended on an emergency basis. Hmm. So like we're talking, you know, cops kick the door down. I'm thrown over the shoulder of like a fireman and I'm put into a cop car and like taken away and like emergency apprehension only happens when there's like acute threat to life Mm. of the child and that happened four times before I was the age of five wow literally Christmas day is when I was apprehended that was the trajectory of my life was like I knew I was going to be involved in this somehow no matter Mm. what because I didn't age out of care until I was 24 well that was gonna be my next question is where did you grow up so I was born in Edmonton in a Meskutuaskaikan in, in Treaty 6 territory. That's my home. But like I said, I was apprehended. I was actually put in foster care for four years. So between the ages of four years old and about eight, I was living in a small rural town called Sherwood Park, which is about half an hour, 40 minutes outside of Edmonton. I grew up there not knowing that I was Indigenous, not knowing if my mom was dead or alive, not knowing any of my other family members. It wasn't until I was eight that I really like figured out 
and was brought sort of back into my family. My mom did pass away when I was seven, and then her sister, her eldest sister, adopted me and my brother and brought us back in from foster care. So I grew up in Edmonton and then just like a little bit in Shirt Park. So having your mom pass away at such a young age, you found kinship through your other family members. Yeah, absolutely. Like like I said, like I never had a father. He left well before I was born. I don't even know his name. I don't know anything about him. I grew up with mostly my my Magushin, my grandma, my aunties, my mom, my brothers, and that was kind of it. And so after my mom passed away, it was just going back into the family and having to kind of re-meet all of my relatives. Mm. I remember like they were familiar, but I was so young, I didn't remember them. And when I was in the foster system, I was baptized. I was brought to Sunday school. We went to church three times a week. I ate the body of Christ and drank the whatever. And like, I remember that was just a norm for us. And I went to a Catholic school. It's giving residential school. <laughs> I, I also went to a Catholic school. And yeah. like my older gen- generation on my mom's side were very Catholic too. I didn't really start reconnecting to like my indigeneity and who I was until I was older. And for you, having lost your mom, not knowing who your dad is, having gone through the child welfare system. When did you really start to question your own identity or like start to reconnect those pieces of who you are as an Indigenous person? Really young, because no matter how white I thought I was, when I was younger, I was so dark. And I'm not as dark now. But um, when I was young, I was really brown and I looked very indigenous. And so no matter how much I thought I was white, I didn't look like my blonde haired, blue eyed friend Jason on the bus. I was different always. And I felt different always. And I knew I didn't look like other people. And I knew that there was something else there because I knew that I was in a family that wasn't my family. And so it wasn't until I was adopted back into my family by my auntie. It felt like when I was taken away at four, all of my like sort of identity kind of was put on halt. And then when I was eight and brought back into the family, I was able to pick back up where I left off. And I was so lucky. I grew up in multiple reserves. I grew up a lot in uh, the Enoch Cree Nation because I had family who was married into a family there. I spent a lot of my summers in Enoch uh, growing up in Cree culture. Um, And then also I'm originally from the Alexis Lakota Sioux Nation, but um, I'm registered in Paul First Nation through my mom and my mom's dad. And I got to grow up there a little bit. So getting a really firsthand experience of like experiencing the culture as an Oscopio when I was younger, I was a helper in ceremony. I kind of didn't have any choice. Like my family was super traditional and they were ceremony people. They were singers, they were dancers, uh, bead workers. And so I sort of just lived in the culture ever since I was a kid. I didn't know anything else except for that brief stint I did in (laughs) foster care. So it wasn't difficult. Well, I know you are a really big advocate for children that are still within the child welfare system. I know you had mentioned that the child welfare system here in Canada is largely made made up of Indigenous youth um, to the point where it's like over half of 50%. Having gone through the system yourself, do you think that the system has changed at all or do you think that it's still the same? It's still the same in many ways because a lot of the same governments are still in power. And it's much higher than 50%, especially in like prairie provinces like Alberta mm-hmm. and Saskatchewan. In the last 10 years, at one point, it was upwards of like 86%, 80, yeah. 88%, 86% of all children in care are Indigenous. That's crazy. And when I was going through foster care, I remember 
seeing a lot of white families taking a lot of indigenous children in, hearing about the amounts of money that they were making to take care of each kid. Like I remember it was something like 3,300 for me and then like 3,600 for mm. my brother. That's crazy because when we were put back into my aunt's care, my mom's eldest sister, they didn't give her anything. She got We got orphans benefits, which I think was like $70 a month. So the the difference in support for like wanting to keep indigenous kids with their families versus all of these um, foster parents who are making so much money and living in these big lavish houses, taking these kids and 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 then I wasn't allowed to talk to my family. I didn't have any contact with any of them. I didn't know my language. I didn't even know that I was indigenous. Hmm. There's actually a class action lawsuit going on right now, which I'm a part of, to offer some compensation to a lot of us who missed out on some big some pivotal times of development as kids wherein we didn't have any access to culture we didn't have any access to tradition or family and the amount of like damage that is done because that's so much time you're never going to get back like I was a baby I was a kid I needed to spend time with my mom and then to 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 know that my mom died while I was in care fighting to get me back and her sister had to take up the fight after her what I wouldn't give to have those extra four years with my mom you know like Maybe would my mom still be alive if I wasn't taken away? Because she got into drugs after we were taken away. That sits on my mind a lot. And that's, I think, a big reason why like, I'm fueled to do what I do because I don't know any other calling. Like, I feel like I'm answering a calling. I'm not really like chasing something, you know? Well, it's coming from within. And I think losing a parent and like dealing with grief, it really catalyzes you into like who you're meant to be and also to show other people that they're not alone. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of indigenous youth and indigenous kids can relate to your story and also just having to deal with your mom falling into addiction. Like I can also relate with my dad going through waves of addiction and thank you for sharing that part of your story. Cause I know it's not easy. And I think sometimes when, when we speak about it, it brings up those feelings again. Drugs have always been something that have been so prevalent in my family, in my immediate family. My older brother Dominic actually passed three years ago in April from an overdose. And I just lost my sister last month, four weeks ago to drugs. And so drugs kind of have like infiltrated every single area of my life. And that addiction that comes with that, it really has just left this, this wound, I think that I'm still always trying to heal. But one thing that, that came out of it was the fact that like my path has never been more clear. I know what I need to do. I get so passionate and so involved when I'm trying to help young people get out of mental health issues or, or, or navigate the system and trying to give them tips and support on how to survive what so many young people don't survive. Mm -hmm. Like I'm surprised I survived. But yeah, like I'm, I'm leaving youthhood now and I'm like so happy that I am because I know that that's a privilege that was denied to so many people in my family and especially a lot of people in my community. You see how many like young people are overdosing and like committing suicide. It's so sad. And so I, I count my blessings and I'm, I'm glad that I was able to, to, to make it through. But now it's, it's my turn to do my best to make sure that I help 
as many young people as I can. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that brings me kind of to my next question of why Indigenous representation and inclusion is so important, not only within social media, but within campaigns, within podcasting, within gaming. For you, like, what would your advice be for maybe the younger generation of Indigenous youth that maybe are dealing with addiction or maybe feel like that they don't want to be here anymore? Like, what would your advice be for an Indigenous youth just wanting to, like, like you said, like survive, but not only survive, but like thrive. Something that's really cheesy that I tell, it's cheesy, but it's true that I tell young people whenever I'm traveling or I'm doing like workshops and stuff like that is like, the sun is going to rise tomorrow. The darkness isn't going to last forever. The sun will rise and you deserve to be happy and wake up and smile with it. And I tell that to so many young people because I was in that place where I literally, like the darkness almost took my life. And I remember one day just being like under it was <laughs> under a waterfall in in South America in Colombia I went on a trip there and I remember like sitting under the waterfall and feeling so like oh my god I can't believe I'm doing this like is this my life and that feeling of like this is so amazing I immediately thought of like me in my shitty little one bedroom apartment when I was 17 crying and like self-harming and like trying to take my own life and like how big of a contrast that was and how if I had gone through with it or been successful I would not be under this waterfall having the most amazing time in my life and I remember truly thinking like wow it really does get better and people say that all the time and they say that because it's true and the darkness does not last forever. And I, I, I tell young people that so much. Like, you would be um, so amazed at what, like, one full day can change in your life, in your spirit, in your heart. You have to just be open to letting that light in, I think. Mm. And sometimes our young people, they're hurt and they carry around that darkness with them. But every now and again, there's little parts that shine through and kind of mm-hmm. creep through um, through the clouds and 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 to look forward to those more and try to do as many things as you can in your day-to-day life that make you happy and then just keep replicating those things because mm. like and also just be a kid like I tell young people you don't have to grow up tomorrow and like all of a sudden be super successful there's like this this idea that like you see all these indigenous people on social media being so like badass and like conquering the world and doing 20 million projects a month and you're like whoa like like you're one of those people I'm one of those people there's people in the room who are like that and you look at them and you're like how do they do all that right it's because they lean on their friends they lean on people to support them they reach out they're not afraid to ask for help and so I tell young people like you're never alone reach out for help you don't have to carry that burden alone and take it you know one step at a time I feel like you're talking to a piece of my soul though, because (laughs) I low-key do those things out of, I think, survival instincts because I feel like having been grown up with no money or no access to like generational wealth, I oftentimes am doing 20 different things because I feel like I will be poor like my whole life. So it's kind of like a survival mechanism. Well, it's trauma, yeah. Yeah, it's trauma. Trauma response. And I know that we carry our trauma in different ways. And I know online, sometimes you can see other people inflicting that trauma onto other people, whether it be through the comment section, whether it be um, behind closed doors. And I know for you, you've talked openly about how you do get a lot of trolls. You do get a lot of (laughs) comments online. And so like, how do you reclaim your power and how do you reclaim your connection to your spirit when other people may be questioning your very own identity and what you stand for? Um, 
I am a double Gemini. So <laughs> my response to people telling me to kill myself or people telling me that I'm not valid or like I, I'm just a, a little a white kid who like can't decide if he's a girl or a boy or I'm a you know abomination or I'm you know, I get like I was I was just in a First Nation actually two weeks ago. I'm not going to say which, but I, I did a, a workshop in a in a reserve and there was an elder there who after my two hour presentation about loving young people and letting them be who they are and supporting them and uplifting them. He decided to give a 15 minute diatribe about how I'm unnatural and that how I uh, go against uh, all of the teachings that he has and like how his daughter wants to transition to be a boy, but in his house, he'll never allow that because it goes against natural law and it's not what creator wants. He was only one of two elders who spoke up against me at this big, like hundred person conference. I remember thinking like, you know, these trolls and these haters and these, these people who are sometimes just downright evil and mean, they don't just exist online. Like I, I deal with that uh, in real life too. I, I have people who sometimes will like protest against me coming to like certain nations or like um, will try to intimidate me. Young people, uh, older like native men will like ask me to not come into a room or they'll tell me like, you can come, but you can't wear that if I'm wearing a ribbon skirt or like I deal with all of it in person as much as I do online. And I deal with it all kind of depending on how, where my spirit is at in that moment. There, Like I'm two spirit and I'm like fire and ice. And sometimes you get the fire, sometimes you get the ice. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll ignore it. I'll be really icy. I'll, I'll, I'll report, block, move on. But sometimes I won't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if somebody says something so unbelievably cruel and just sick to me, it's not even about me at that point. It's like if, if this person owns a business or if they're in politics or if they have any type of influence in society, I will sometimes like go after their employer or I'll like give a phone call to an organization they're a part of and I'll just send them the screenshots and say like, hey, like, I just want to let you know, like this person who feels these things and who threatens people like this and who's a violent person works for you or like represents your company and is like, has no problem writing all of their like employment information in their bio and then going around and telling indigenous youth who have the highest rates of suicide in our country, you're going to go around and tell them, oh, you should be scalped. Mm. You're disgusting. You're gross. Oh, bring back the schools. They missed a couple of you. I want people to see that this is real. That's a big part of advocacy too. And I think that some people don't, they, they see me as being a troublemaker. Like, oh, why would you put all that effort into like, you know, hurt this guy's reputation and da, da, da. It's like, it's so not about that. It's just about letting people know. Like a big part of advocacy is awareness. Mm -hmm. I speak up for our young people who say like, we get bullied. People don't make space for us. People tell us to kill ourselves. And then people roll their eyes and go, oh yeah, sure. I'm sure that happens too. No, it literally does. And here are some screenshots and I'm sending them to your employer and good luck. It's about awareness and it's also about accountability. Like I think if other people knew what they were saying, like they would then maybe take accountability for what they You'd were hope. saying. You would hope. And that brings me to my next question. You mentioned um, Indigenous youth feeling like they don't want to be here. We had the highest rates of suicide. What is top of mind for Indigenous youth today? I think... Indigenous youth want joy. If you look around, you, you see how many um, Indigenous youth are starting to make content or are starting to do different things in the arts or who are joining um, 
like uh, sports teams. We're now starting to experience a lot of Indigenous joy through things like comedy, uh, makeup, acting, all these amazing television shows and movies. You know, shout out to Imaginative for putting on such a great display of that. Like you, you can see the Indigenous joy when a young person gets to see themselves on on a, on a screen or gets to laugh at an insider joke that like maybe only we know. Those kinds of things we've lacked for so long. We've lacked YouTubers, podcasters, makeup gurus. We've lacked pro gamers. We've lacked influencers. It wasn't until like the last three-ish years that we started to really see some role models and some just cool people. I wanted to log into the internet and see cool-ass Indigenous people just having fun and it seems like everywhere we go, it's just trauma, 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 trauma. And one of the biggest things that we need for our young people is to allow them to be young people. They have the right to play. They have the right to have fun. They have the right to laugh and to not feel bad about it. You know, they don't need to conquer the world tomorrow. Like, we are in the process of healing. How can we reconcile and immediately get to this place where we're self-actualized and we're, we're healed and, you know, all this trauma has been healed? No, like, let us heal for a bit. It doesn't need to be solved overnight. I think our young people just need a break a little bit sometimes and, like, to not be pressured by everyone to go to university and get a degree tomorrow and, like, make sure you make your family proud and learn your language while you're at it and go back to ceremony, but also move away to the big city and make something <laughs> of yourself and make a lot of money and buy a house and do this and do that. And it's like, they're just trying to eat and, you know, smile every once in yeah. a while sometimes. No, now that you say that, there is kind of, like, a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, not only, like, for your family, but also your community. And, yeah, you just feel like you hold maybe sometimes a lot of weight. I know when I'm saying yes to certain things, I'm not just thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about, like, oh, is this going to align with even my community? And mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are at play. But you did mention the power of Indigenous representation across all platforms. And that brings me to my next question of could you tell listeners a little bit about Nietzsche Clan? I know you funded Nietzsche Clan, which is really focused on amplifying Indigenous voices and representation within the gaming world. How has that experience been for you? And what is Nietzsche Clan all about? It's been absolutely phenomenal. I co-founded Nietzsche Clan with um, one of my good, good, good friends and just OG Native influencer extraordinaire, Shannon Baker. And uh, we founded Nietzsche Clan in 2022? Yeah, 2022. It started as just this small little idea. We we met in LA. I was just a big fan. And um, we ended up getting to go out for like food together. And we were sitting together and she's like, I can't believe you're a gamer. And I'm like, I can't believe you're a gamer. Like, what the <laughs> heck? And we just like bonded over food. And then um, I remember we were sitting together later after we had filmed um, a series of mine called uh, Res Mean Girls. I remember we were sitting together later and she was like, why isn't there like a gaming organization for indigenous people? Like, I only like playing with indigenous people who like are friendly. We bonded over this shared annoyance of like the most basic, toxic, shitty little white kids who scream at you in online video games, call you every name in the book. They're so rude to women and they're so homophobic and transphobic. They're, the internet is just not a safe space. And especially in like competitive gaming, it's vile. It's so bad. So we were just like, why don't we make one? And I kind of was like looking at Shannon. I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll just make one. And she was like, no, for real, let's make one. 
Because you know, if you know me, you know I have the audacity to think I can do anything. Yeah. And yeah, I'll do yeah. it and I'll get like pumped and I'll get passionate. I'm like, okay, where's the grants? Who can we call in to help? Who's like an expert at this? Like, let's do this tomorrow. Let's set up a meeting. Like I'm bang, 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 bang. And Shannon's like that too. And so now we have Nietzsche Clan, which is um, an online community. First and foremost, uh, we have... 600 members now um, wow. and we've partnered with EA Sports which incredible Nietzsche Clan is doing their first ever uh, all indigenous apex tournament coming up this month for national Native American history month in the states and um, we're giving away like between 10 to 15,000 in prizes to like you young need people. to tell me what an apex tournament is because I do not <laughs> game I've watched my brother's game and because of all the feedback that they got through their headphones, I never wanted to game because you're literally getting yelled at all oh, the yeah. time. It's so toxic. Yeah. It's <laughs> so bad. what is an Apex tournament? Apex Legends is a video game. It's a battle royale game. Okay. Which means you're in a plane and yeah. there's a hundred of you. You jump off the plane onto an island and then okay. a ring slowly, of a ring of like death mm. comes in and you have to be the last team to survive at the very end. Okay. That's as simple as I can make it. That's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. I have to give it to you. EA is the creator of that game. And it's okay. probably one of the most, if not the most, played game by indigenous people. And so what does indigeneity have to do with gaming? Like how do the they kind of, kind of go hand in hand? Well, indigenous people have been at the forefront of um, technology and innovation and of creating games and creating fun we have been having fun and creating really intricate games. Like, um, we're talking way back. Like, mm -hmm. you know, those games where they put the little hoop and they shoot the arrow through it. Mm -hmm. Then they have, like, lacrosse, like, sledding. All of these, like, really amazing games. Like, Indigenous people have been masters of technology. It's such a shame that there are so many barriers to entry in video games. Because look at our reserves. Look at where most of our Indigenous people live. They can't even open Facebook, much yeah. less live stream or do content creation or like play video games online. There's just no way. And mo many of them are living in poverty. They don't have access to that kind of stuff. And so Nietzsche Clan, part of Nietzsche Clan's goal is um, I'm reaching out to Rogers and Bell and I'm going to mm -hmm. try to host LAN tournaments. LAN meaning local area network, meaning you're in the same room together. Okay. So LAN tournaments in different nations and challenge these big conglomerates to fund connectivity and give mm -hmm. Wi-Fi and internet to, like good internet to these nations. And that'll just create so many more opportunities. That's why we don't have indigenous people in gaming. It's why we don't have them in video game design, in voice acting, in uh, 3D animation. We don't have them in like game casting or, you know, they're not YouTubers and stuff like that because many of them just don't have the access to A, the technology, B, the training, and then C, just the internet. That's why also wellness is a privilege. Having yeah. access to like wellness sessions online and virtually um, is a privilege in itself. And healthy food. <laughs> and healthy food, exactly. Yeah. Like there's so many things. I think that's a great idea that you're getting these kind of big players to hopefully fund Nietzsche Clan and to also fund all the other things that you're up to. What has that partnership been like for you through EA? It's been really good. Actually, the way that it started was two years ago, I got a random DM mm -hmm. from an artist who um, was not Indigenous, but was a part of a like diversity and inclusion committee or council in EA. 
Mm-hmm. And she was like, we don't have, like, I'm a big fan of yours, Kai. Um, I work for EA. I didn't realize you were a gamer. Um, I do a lot of the artwork for FIFA, for the FIFA game. And um, I'd love to meet you. Like, w- I would love for you to come in and talk to, like, our group about, like, indigenous representation and things like that. So that was two years ago. Right. Like, right. in, like, mid-COVID. I ended up moving to Vancouver for a little bit, for, like, seven months. While I was there, I got to go and meet them in person, EA. Uh, and had supper with them. And then that partnership just, it was a long time coming. Like I've been barking up that tree for so long. And then finally EA was like, hey, we want to do a campaign with you and Nietzsche Clan. And so we did um, the Sims 4 uh, partnership with Nietzsche Clan a few months ago. And it was the first sort of big thing that Nietzsche Clan did right at launch. It was so incredible. And it was so much fun to bring in other Nietzsche Clan members who um, I had personally recommended it, it was nice to see the, the the conversations of like back and forth emails for two years to now they're going to be helping us with sponsoring the tournament. And we just did the Sims 4 thing. And it's a lot of hard work trying to convince white people that Indigenous youth are worth it. I, I remember in one meeting they were like, well, what kind of um, portfolios do you guys have in terms of like being a gaming organization and like what have you done? Like, w- how are we going to get a return on our investment? Da, da, da. And I remembered being in the meeting with them and there was like six of us in there. And I remember saying like, we don't have any of that. I don't think you understand. Like indigenous, we're starting from scratch here. We're asking you to take a leap of faith on us because we need it because we're so underrepresented because no one else is going to do it. How are we supposed to get to here if we can't even enter the playing field? Like you need to take a chance on us. And I promise you, it's going to be worth it because Indigenous youth are incredible and they're so creative and like you will get the return on investment by knowing that you're literally decolonizing Canada and decolonizing a really underrepresented area in media, which is esports. It's that time of year, y'all. Welcome to Excel Study Beats, brought to you by Excel Gum. Canada's number one gum brand. Today, we're diving into a world of relaxation and focus to help you conquer your anxiety, your study-related stress. Excel Gum understands the challenges you face during exams, and that's why they're introducing Excel Study Beats. It's a program designed to support students at Canadian colleges and universities. Let's combat the stress together by turning chewing gum into a ritual and utilizing the frequencies of sound to ease your mind. Now, imagine combining the power of ASMR a popular study aid with the soothing sounds of gum. That's exactly what Excel Gum has done with Excel Study Beats. Excel is providing exclusive ASMR content. Search Excel Gum on Spotify. It's the perfect study companion. A journey of blissful sounds await you, ready to enhance your study sessions and soften the tension of thought. Happy studying, and may success be your sweetest reward. (laughs) 
now having gone through the process of creating a relationship with EA, having advocated for indigenous inclusion within the gaming world, what is your advice for non-indigenous people when it comes to creating relationships or when it comes to establishing, I don't like using the word reconciliation, but when it comes to supporting us as indigenous creators and as indigenous advocates. Oh, there's so many things that they can do. Prioritize hiring indigenous people. um, And when you're going into collaborations with indigenous people, Understand the worldview and and the perspectives that we're coming from. I think it's really important to educate yourselves on like who Indigenous people are, where they live, whose land you're on, basic things like that before you even go into like working with Indigenous people in your business. Create um, opportunities for mentorship. Create positions where wherein you can use your experience to maybe help out an Indigenous person who wants to be a part of that sector or wants to be a part of that field who maybe doesn't have the uh, experience or the whatever opportunities go in and make those and make it a point to like create them and to go out and seek someone to fill that role and create a uh, training for any type of team you're on, whether it's a nonprofit or a company or whoever in a school, like you need to make sure that people are constantly being educated. There's mm-hmm. so many people who, Oh, I, it's so frustrating trying to like explain something so that I think is so basic about indigenous people and having people be like, what's that? Like, Oh, I have an Inuk friend. Oh, what's that? Like, <laughs> like we're, <laughs> so, so for some people we're starting way before, like, like they don't have any of the, of the knowledge to even like have a conversation about your identity or about your lived experience. And so I think that sometimes it's just about going back to the basics. Like there's a, there's a free course through the U of A. Mm-hmm. that like Dan Levy even like famously endorsed that is so good that is free it's in modules it's at your own that at your own pace everyone should be taking that as just like a bare minimum mm-hmm. to undo a lot of the like downright propaganda and all of the um the education and curriculum that has been left out and purposely misinterpreted and rewritten um in in schools especially especially where I grew up and you grew up in Alberta, mm-hmm. like learning about the fur trade and all that kind of stuff and realizing it was all just bullshit. And like, uh, and then not even hearing about indigenous people until I'm in like university. Yeah. But meanwhile, I'm learning about Brazil and I'm learning about Japan and I'm learning about China and I'm learning about, and I'm like, none of these people even like ha- have even heard like one indigenous word in their lives. And yet they live in a Mesquitean like anyway. So no, I do, I haven't even taken that course, so I <laughs> I should it. be listening to you right Take now. Take it, it's free. <laughs> well, and I think going back to basics too, I think the term two-spirit is also very new to a lot of people that are mm. not Indigenous or mm. that are learning about two-spirit identity right now. And so in your own terms, how would you define what being two-spirit means to you? It's a good question because there's a lot of controversy, I think, surrounding the term two-spirit and the way that people use it. I use two-spirit as a placeholder term, as like an English word, placeholder, to describe something that in my community exists. And that's, um, I guess, what you would call like winkte or wankte, somebody who is like a male-bodied person who maybe moves through the world kind of like a woman would Mm -hmm. in a very loose English translation. But really what two-spirit has like come to be for me now is a responsibility. It's a role, I think, to to be somebody who educates and somebody who helps, somebody who is of service and who um, is gentle and who does their best to counsel and mediate and go in between 
my understandings and in my two spirit teachings and in my journey of trying to learn about what two spirit is, because like, trust me, it's been a journey and it's been one that I've been on since I was like three or four years old when I first had my family members call me two spirit before I even knew what that even mm. was. I was already being called that. And two spirit has just kind of been pushed not on me, but like I have realized this path has like been one that was like going to collide with me at some point. Yeah. And I'm glad that it did because I learned so much about myself and I learned about my my femininity and my masculinity too, which is really beautiful. And so Two-Spirit, yes, is a relatively newer, if we're talking like 1990 being new, um, newer English word to describe a concept that has predated the English language and has existed time immemorial. Like No matter who you ask, all of these elders will tell you that there has just always kind of been Two-Spirit people or Two-Spirit people. Um, and I say two spirit because we're talking nijmanatwag, meaning two souled person, or like ayakwe, or like ikwe, or winkte, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, sub in any kind of indigenous language that has those beliefs. You'll, you'll see them all over the world, not even just Turtle Island. You'll see them in New Zealand. You'll see them in Asia. Like, this is not a new thing. And I, I identify as Two-Spirit because it's easier for me to say that for people who don't understand my culture, who don't speak my language, um, as a way to tell them that I'm queer and indigenous, but that it's also more so a spiritual identity um, that encapsulates my sexual orientation, my gender identity, how I present myself and, and, and the ways in which I'm useful to my community. And to me, I take that so seriously because that's literally why I do what I do is mm-hmm. because I was taught you're going to have a hard life, but you're going to help a lot of people. And so as a Winkte person or as somebody who's two-spirit, I wouldn't call myself two-spirit if I wasn't out there doing the stuff that I'm doing now. I would just call myself queer. I've often heard the term two-spirit defined as in having a balance of the masculine and the feminine. Would you say that that's kind of how it is? For me, yeah. Um, maybe not for everybody. I know a lot of two-spirit people who are just like super mask right. or who are like super femme. And that's fine too. But I, I do think that within everybody, there's masculinity and femininity. I just think that some people suppress their masculinity or suppress their femininity. And um, you see it a lot. Um, and, and, that, and that's a trauma response. And that's mm-hmm. like reacting to society. And you see it a lot in... Uh, Native men, actually, you'll see a lot of them um, who are hyper-masculine. And then, you know, the pendulum swings so far into masculinity that sometimes it overdoes it and it turns into toxic masculinity. And that's not to say that all masculinity is toxic because it's not. Masculinity is beautiful and it's vital. But what I don't agree with is toxic masculinity, wherein we're hurting our feminine people. We're hurting our women, our two-spirit people. And we're allowing that to- we're allowing that masculinity to suffocate the room, and to be shoved down people's throats. Ironically, a lot of people tell me I shove my sexuality down people's throats when all I'm doing is just existing and wearing makeup and maybe some heels, and that just gives a visceral reaction to some people because they don't love themselves. Mm. I love myself. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with who I am. I walk through the world with my head held high. And I love every version of myself, whether I'm masculine or feminine or somewhere in between. And there are a lot of people who don't love themselves. And when they see somebody having the audacity to live their life so free, it hurts them because they want to love themselves too. And they wish that they could unshackle themselves from that version of themselves that 
life and society needs them or tells them that they should be. And that's a prison. And I don't live in that prison. I'm just a little two spirit creature just dancing around, <laughs> you know, just living my life. And um, that's not anything super controversial. It's just a very simple truth. And it's one that not a lot of people I think can hear. And so, yeah, two spirit is, is, is definitely for some people, a mix of like balancing that masculine, that feminine. It's really about how I feel in the day. It's really about like where I am in my life. I find myself being a lot more masculine around certain people or a lot more feminine when I'm like, when my kind of guard is more down and, and I'm feeling like a little bit kind of sassy or fiery, you know? So yeah, it just depends. It's kind of like a dance in between, totally like, in between like two worlds. Absolutely. And I think like people lash out when they start to question their whole worldview. And I think sometimes two spirit and being two spirit, it makes people question what they thought they knew about life or what they thought they knew about their own history and maybe even their own identity. So I think you just open up a whole world of people like questioning maybe themselves. It's programming really is what totally. I'm trying to get at because it's, we've it's been decolonizing. Yeah, exactly. So when we talk about decolonization, it's almost like dismantling this programming of what we learned throughout the years. And I think two spirit people do a lot of work just subconsciously by allowing people to question what they grew up with. Totally. I, I always say we cannot have decolonization without honoring our two spirit people because we ex our existence is decolonial. I'm kind of labeled as a troublemaker sometimes, which I'm totally fine with. I'm a two-spirit troublemaker. I know that. But I don't see that as a bad thing all the time. Like, I go into rooms sometimes, and I'll have people, like, get physically uncomfortable with me being there. Oh, it's a man in a dress. Oh, it's, like, someone who's confused. Or, oh, he's coming after the children. Or, oh, he's a pedophile. Mm -hmm. Or he's a groomer. Or whatever, you know, these ideas that people have. All I'm doing is just existing and, like, just having a good time. I have this teaching it's less of a teaching more of something i've discovered but one one that i'm trying to like get some steam on and kind of trying to coin which is this idea of yuhtin maskigia um where yuhtin means wind and maskigia means medicine so wind medicine kind of like whirlwind medicine which i'm hoping to call my podcast <laughs> when it comes out hey. but um this idea of whirlwind medicine wherein I enter a room and I'm like a cyclone and things get moved around and shifted and, you know, the papers go flying and maybe the chair moves a little bit. And people see that as like, oh, he's hurting the environment. He, he, he's, he's damaging us. He's changing things. We don't like it. Like he's a menace, da, 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 all these things. And sometimes I am a menace, but it's usually for a good reason. And um, after, you know, the dust settles and the wind kind of chills out, you'll start to realize that all of the things that have shifted naturally with the wind have kind of needed to. And maybe that, you know, chair looks a little better there and maybe those papers needed to be shifted mm. that way. And then people start to realize, oh, actually, that does kind of look better there. I didn't realize that it needed to happen and that change was really uncomfortable for me. Mm. And I didn't like, I didn't like you bringing that out in me because I'm scared of change. And I want to go with the status quo and I want to go with what the Bible has taught me. I want to go with you know, what I'm programmed to think. And so sometimes it's as simple as me just walking into a room and just being who I am and just watching the stairs and like seeing people, like you can see it on their face where they're just like, this doesn't make sense. I need to box you somewhere mm. and I can't, you, you don't fit into my boxes and that angers me. 
I think it, I think it comes down to control too. For me, sometimes if things aren't in place or they aren't perfect or they aren't where I want it to be, it's like I have to let go of control of how I think things should be. Yeah, because like what right do you have over the way that I present over or the, whole, the way I live my exactly. life? And sometimes, and this is kind of funny, but sometimes it's not even about any of that. Sometimes it's just about someone liking something that they don't think that they should like and that they hate themselves for. I get hit on by so many straight men who hate that they like me. People denying an aspect of themselves. Yeah. They want me to be their dirty little secret. They want to love me in the dark and they never want to honor me. We have so many of these people. Maybe they're not straight. Maybe they're not gay, but they see something that they like and it just triggers this thing in them where, I mean, that's why a lot of our um, gender fluid uh, or even people like me, yeah, who are like a little bit more gender fluid or like our, our trans relatives, they deal with despicable rates of violence, physical violence against them because of things that I just talked about mm -hmm. where straight men, straight men, I sometimes call them straight to bed, <laughs> <laughs> but these straight men will like go and they'll have their fun and they'll use people. Mm -hmm. They'll exploit them. Like, and, and I've heard firsthand accounts from my two spirit trans friends who will say like, it's really dangerous to make love or it's dangerous to like date. It's dangerous to try to find partners because they will say anything that they can to you to get you to lay in bed with them. And then when it's finished that like post whatever clarity mm -hmm. is sometimes such a shock to them that they get violent. They'll kill you. They'll attack you. They'll beat you up. They'll threaten you. They'll like blackmail you. They'll rape you. That like all of these things happen so often. And I think it's like something like two in four trans people have experienced violence in their life. And like it's so sad. But that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about like decolonizing or like making sure that we honor who people are and where they're at and we honor every version of them instead of. You know, you need to look like this. You need to act like this. You need to talk like this. Bible says this, da, 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 da. We have these laws and this and this and this and this and this. And that's like all of these rules when we're all just spirit mm -hmm. and we're all just trying to move through this rock together and just have a good time in the meantime. And it doesn't really need to be that serious sometimes. Sometimes you can just like someone and that's it. And we don't yeah. need any labels. Two spirit is just one of those things where I'm like, it's more for other people, less for me. One, I think you're a good example of what it looks like when you are proud of who you are mm. and proud of all aspects of yourself. Yeah. I'm excited to see the future of what Two-Spirit people influence. And so that brings me to my next question is when you think of Indigenous futurism, specifically for like Two-Spirit people, what do you hope to see? Ooh, I want to see Indigenous pop stars. Selfishly, I want to see like a lot of Indigenous celebrities just having a great time taking up space at the Grammys and the Junos and okay. the this and that. You'll be there. Well, <laughs> indigenous futurism looks like to me, um, tons, so many movies and TV shows that we don't have to default to reservation dogs. We don't have to default to Rutherford Falls. There's too many to choose from that. We just have like such a big catalog mm -hmm. where we can have shitty indigenous films and we can have That's amazing true. indigenous films and there be enough volume that we can have that, you know, and so not every single thing that comes out has to be the be all end all of indigenous representation. I, I want there to be so many different uh, schools. I want to see schools pop up all over the country. Schools that teach us our languages. Schools that are like funded. Like indigenous schools? 
Yes. I'm talking like on, on nations. I'm talking like really amazing institutions. I'm seeing some great ones being built already, yeah, but too. like we have the technology and, and, and the money in a lot of these nations to be teaching kids everything like the power of technology now, like even with like AI and things like that, like indigenous people need to take advantage of all of that and like use it to reclaim a lot of our, the things that were lost. And that's what indigenous futurism looks like to me is adapting all of these like older traditional methodologies and applying them to all of the amazing technology that we have now. Like we're sending people to space in like space hotels, like, we should be able to get some water to the nation oh that's gosh, like 20 minutes outside of the major city. What do you want to name your podcast? Yuhtin uh, Maskigia or Whirlwind Medicine with Kai. Okay. So like, I feel like that's the innovation and that's kind of creating the indigenous futurism and that's the win that's going to shake things up. But then a part of me is like, what do we keep still alive that's rooted in tradition? Right. You know, it's kind of we're like... Gonna, we're, we're really good at doing that, I think. We're yeah. really good at bringing, bringing the history forward with us and as long as we lead I, i'm stealing this quote from an elder in treaty six um and it was told to me by james mccookus but he said that our young people are going to be leading our nations with a laptop in one hand and an eagle feather in the other and i truly believe that that's it i'm seeing it happen already it's already happening we're doing it now yeah it's happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> moving on like how can people support the work that you're doing after listening to this episode where, where can they follow you where can they check what you're up to what do you have for the rest of 2023 well they can support me by e-transferring me immediately True. just kidding <laughs> <laughs> drop that <laughs> no um you can no, find but what's me what's your e-transfer <laughs> Um, but you know, follow me on all socials. It's just at O'Kyron, O-H-K-I-R-Y-N. And, um, I, I want land tournaments for Nietzsche clan. Our first tournament is happening. I want it to be inaugural and I want it to be amazing so that we can continue to push money and opportunity and just possibility into indigenous gamers pockets and hands. I'm traveling to Columbia in a little bit Exciting. to go back and, uh, visit my, my host family there. And, um, I'm going back home and I'm taking some time off. I went through a lot of um, a lot of big losses this past year. We lost six family members in the span of four months. It was just absolutely like I'm still not okay. It, it's really affected my work. Having to put work to the side or like missing deadlines or like pushing work back because of just unsurmountable grief. I'm trying to keep myself accountable, but I'm also like trying to meet myself where I'm at, where it's like. You just lost your brother, your sister, mm -hmm. you lost your brother-in-law, you lost your auntie who was like a mom to you. She was the first person to tell me I was two-spirit. Mm -hmm. And I lived with her for so long and she passed and she was a matriarch in our family. And that was absolutely devastating. It was like one of the biggest losses of my entire life. And so I'm going to go back home, back to Edmonton, back to the reserve, and I'm going to go back to ceremony. I'm going to be doing my best to really tackle my drinking habits and I'm really like transparent with a lot of these young people that I talk to where it's like I'm not sober mm -hmm. um I don't do drugs but um I do drink and they see me drinking I'm not like hiding it this is where I'm at right now and this is what this version of me looks like and I don't suggest you guys do it um but I'm doing it right now and also I'm working on it just always being really transparent about you know where I'm at and um going home and just trying to heal heal my body which has been through hell i need to make sure i'm exercising i'm feeding myself good food and then i also want to just go to ceremony and i want to like 
continue to do some hardcore therapy. I see a therapist every mm-hmm. two weeks. Um, I want to see somebody for, um, which everyone should do if they have addicts in their life, is I'm going to go to um, Al-Anon, okay. which is um, a support group for people who have loved ones that are addicts. I didn't realize that that was a resource for a very long time. And then when I heard it was a resource, I kind of didn't take it too seriously, which I'm sad about. Now I'm like really going to give it a big a big solid chance and um, I'm hopeful. So that's what's coming down the pipe for me. It's not like super extravagant. It's actually the opposite where I'm like taking like two months off of work and like not doing anything. But I think that that's going to be the best version of me, like the best move for me. And then once Kai gets back to his where he needs to be, then I'm just going to just explode back with all of my great projects and keep them on the go. Well, I think it's dismantling perfectionism and yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. And I'm glad that you're actually taking actions and steps for your healing because for me, I disassociate a lot and I check out and act like nothing's happening and then it starts to reappear itself. Um, And my mom actually loves those meetings. So my mom has found a lot of like support because my mom's also dealt with them. Well, my dad was an addict, so she would attend those meetings and she still attends them like 20, 30 years later so yeah I always tell young people even if my life was perfect and there was nothing going on I would still see a counselor counseling doesn't mean that you're weak nothing in fact it's preemptive Mm -hmm. like it's it's proactive medicine it's 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 making sure that you're equipped and you have support to deal with sort of anything that comes down your pipe even if it's like oh I got a paper cut oh my life is over like well let's talk about it you know I'm kind of, I'm not going through anything similar as to you. And I, I want to say like, thank you for sharing that. And also just being so honest and truthful mm-hmm. here. There's a lot of menace, medicine and um, knowing where you're at, really, really where you're at. And I would say that for me, having gone through this past year and having said yes to everything because of that survival mechanism, I realized that I didn't have those systems in place mm. for me to feel my healthiest or for yeah. me to feel supported. And so like you're saying, it's like about creating those systems all year round so that when we do maybe don't feel or something happens in our life. Not even maybe, something will happen. Something will happen. That's just the way life yeah. is. But you're 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 ready and you've trained and you're 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 good that when it hits, it doesn't rock you. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you can just kind of it'll graze you a little bit and you're like, oh, I know what this is. You know, we talked about this or like, oh, no, this devastating thing happened. But like I'm here to immediately I'm available to unpack it and to like get through it like mm-hmm. as quick as possible. That's really what it comes down to is just having those mechanisms and having that like mental fortitude and that spiritual fortitude to be able to like understand that life isn't perfect all the time and that and that awareness I think every time that I've done something I was kind of like going unconscious yeah you know I think conscious me knows something's not right for me but unconscious me doesn't really care <laughs> mm. like you know where you just go through those automatic behaviors it's a water thing I don't know because like for me I'm hyper aware I'm like I'm making a bad choice <laughs> like I know it right but right, I don't right. stop myself because right. I'm kind of like, you know what? And this is maybe, a, it's not a hot take, but this is kind of something that I think is like, life is boring sometimes without a little bit of chaos. Okay, no, uh, this is me too. This uh, Shayla goes unconscious for the plot line. Yeah. Not that Shayla wants to I'm like, this it. is character development. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. how can I push the plot along? Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to like stir in the pot a little bit. 
a little bit and then you get burned and you're like oh yeah okay. and then yeah i'm like crying on my bathroom floor i'm like oh, i didn't want to stir the pot why did i do this i hate pots <laughs> Kyron pots, Kyron pots. <laughs> <laughs> pots. oh everyone's been burned by a pots before i hope i never cross that bridge i don't need that i'll introduce you to some of my cousins oh gosh <laughs> well thank you so much kai for joining me on this show for being the first in-person studio podcast guest um i loved having you here i know the listeners loved listening and also being just so open and honest about your story i know a lot of indigenous youth can relate to it and i look forward to seeing what you create and also just seeing what you don't create and just chilling for the rest of the year yeah, the Naskaban. I mean, the, uh, I don't think any of the viewers saw it, but earlier you gave me tobacco. It's a Sema or Sema. And when you do that and I accept it, I have no other choice but to be transparent and to give my all. And if I held back and I was like not being completely honest or I was maybe not giving my full effort, that would be in direct violation of the spiritual contract that we've just made. So I wanted to say that and thank you for doing that. It's things like that, 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 that make sure that we have good conversations and that when we're moving forward, it's in a good way. And I, <laughs> I know that that's like such a big indigenous cliche is like, do it in a good, good way. way. But like, it's so, so true. So yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, hi. And yeah, I'm a matriarch girly now. <laughs> I guess I always was. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> matriarch movement girly wait 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 wait. okay last question who are matriarchs you're currently inspired by you mentioned your aunt my auntie uh my late auntie donna potts she saved her siblings my mom included her mm -hmm. four younger siblings from a house fire by carrying them one by one she was only 11 years old she threw them out the window and then carried them what? one by one out of this burning cabin and the queen of england flew over and awarded her a medal of bravery she was incredible. She's definitely a matriarch that I look up to so, so much. My sister, Danessa Potts, incredible. My sister, Delona Potts, my late sister who just passed very recently, four weeks ago, my sister, Lorenda Potts. She was absolutely incredible too. I was raised by just the most incredible women who are just so tough. They just mm. embody that word tough in everything that they do. They're, they're so just special. They taught me that femininity is not weak. It's, it's beautiful and it's 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 like a raging river. It's mm -hmm. healing and it's beautiful and it's soft, but it's powerful and it's it moves forward. And so that's what I try to do. And what does the word matriarch mean to you? Matriarch to me means divine femininity, and it means power, and it means esteem, and it means something to look up to, something to look forward to. It's comforting, and leadership. Well, I know your auntie is probably here right now and really proud of everything mm -hmm. that you're still doing and still advocating for. And so I always call upon like my ancestors and my dad that's passed. And I feel like I channel him when I write or when I'm in like different things in my life. So I feel like she's always with you, even though she's not here anymore. Well, next time I beat you at pool, you'll know that's my auntie. <laughs> she was like fourth in the world for like women's singles. Thank you, hi hi, for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. I'm Shayla Olat Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on Matriarch Movement on Instagram at Shayla0H. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore, and I'll talk to you again soon.
Excel Gum and ASMR. Search Excel Gum on Spotify now and choose one of four ASMR audio experiences. Because everybody needs good study partners.